Hi, everyone. Welcome to Seth Dudetsky's Back to School. This week, I have the multi-talented writer and actor Ryan O'Connell. And you know, often I, I ask my guests, can you think of one memory that perfectly encapsulates who you were as a high school student? And I just had an experience that really perfectly encapsulates who I am as an adult. So James and I just moved back to New York City. And I'm so excited to be back. And I went to the Spectrum store to get my internet set up and talking to the guy behind the counter and he's filling out forms, filling out forms. And suddenly he just looks at me and he goes, have I, have I seen you on Broadway? And I'm like, yes. I, first of all, he recognized me. I'm wearing a mask and he still recognizes me. And I'm like, this is incredible. I'm back in New York for one minute. I feel like New York is welcoming me back. Broadway's welcoming me back. My fans are welcoming me back. I'm like, I was so happy. I'm like, you totally have. And by the way, I haven't been in New York for like a year and a half. So I'm like, yes, you have. And um, one second later, he's like, oh, no, it's just, it's because you were humming. So I was like, hey, have I seen you on Broadway? Because like, you know, you were, you were trying to sing a song, you're humming. Okay. So he, he didn't recognize me <laughs> with or without a mask. <laughs> it was devastating. Okay. So there you have it. Bye-bye. Dreading morning classes, stealing bathroom passes, football, drivers and SATs, bullies that attack me, why do I have back knee, jockstraps, training bras, frenemies, we remember back then, it's like freshman year again, ready steady now you're in it, pencil stop this any minute, Zach back to school Ryan O'Connell. Now! Hey everyone, welcome to Seth Rudetsky's Back to School. My guest today is the creator and star, and by the way, writer on a lot of other things, but still creator and star of the Netflix series Special or Special. Please welcome Ryan O'Connell. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, so first things first, all about high school. Where and when did you graduate from ye old high school? 2005. It feels neither here nor there. Do you know what I mean? Like the early aughts, like it kind of feels like who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, believe me. No, already I'm bored. No, not at all. I know what you mean. Though. It wasn't. It wasn't really known for anything. It wasn't like, oh my god, 2005 was so like wasn't really anything. No, we had like TRL. It was like very yeah, but like I don't yeah, I don't know. There's nothing really. Maybe with more time, there'll be nostalgia that's going to be completely unearned. But we'll see. Oh, uh, there'll be like a musical Grease, like about the 2005s, and like everyone. Totally, will have they're to... like, remember when? Feel old yet? Feel <laughs> exactly. old? Like, okay, shut up. It's 2005. Calm the fuck down. Okay, wait, hold on. Graduate 2005, but from where? Oh, okay. So I grew up in Ventura, California, which is kind of like a little beach town, kind of like 10 minutes from Ojai. And I went to this place called Foothill Technology High School, which actually had just opened. I was the second year of it being open when I went. Technology, because I guess you wanted to go into steelwork. I don't even know what technology is. Wait, what is that, computer? I have no idea what that means. Babe, we're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to unpack it all these years later. I don't really know. It meant that they like had a computer moment and they like mm. loved computers. But like, I don't, I didn't identify as like a tech whiz. I just went because it was like a charter school. I won the lottery. I basically got a private school education for free. XOXO. Do you know what I mean? Tell me a typical day. First of all, brothers and sisters? I didn't ask you that. I have a brother and a sister. My brother went to school with me as well. And my sister was already gone. She's like a few years older than me. So she was like living in the Humboldt going to college. Your brother's your age? A year older than me. 
Okay. So give me a typical kind of get ready in the morning in high school. Who's waking you up? What kind of radio did you have? Who made breakfast? All that. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, you know, wake up with, you know, the usual self-loathing that a gay disabled teenager has. Um, so just greet the day with that. And then, um, I, you know, I would go to school and our school kind of looked like a prison. It was a lot of grays. Uh, it was like very industrial looking, but what I will say about my little tech whizzy school is that sports were banned and a total power move. Like you were not allowed to play sports. They didn't exist. So we didn't have um, pep rallies. We had these things called Renaissance rallies where we would give awards to people on the honor roll. Renaissance. So I, I thought it was going to be really like full, of like long gowns and like lutes. So it's not that kind of Renaissance. Seth, we weren't far away from that, spiritually speaking. You know what I mean? Like, like we were like, it was this close to LARPing. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was a definite, yeah, it was just around the corn from where we were at. Um, Yeah, but it was insane because, you know, as a gay disabled truck on a lash, I knew that I was never going to play sports, didn't care about sports. And so going to a school where that was not allowed was beyond chic. But hold on, you know, you're talking about being disabled, but I think, of course, my listeners are like, wait, what? So just talk about that for a second, so that if they, in case they don't know who the hell you are. Yeah, I have mild cerebral palsy. Um, basically, I walk with a limp. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Um. But my main question is, is it cerebral or cerebral? Because I never get it straight. I don't know. And that might just be my brain damage. <laughs> Because CP happens from birth trauma, honey. She comes literally born this way. So it's from when the oxygen gets deprived of the brain. So there is literal brain damage. There's entire sections of my brain that are like complete blackout curtains. Baby, you were born this way. But hold on. I love blackout curtains. But sort of on the serious note, if it is from birth, it's the kind of thing that your parents constantly blame themselves. And they're like, is it the kind of thing like there's always like a devastation between the parent and the child because of it? Uh, maybe. I mean, yeah, I think that it definitely does a number on you. I think for them, it was really hard because when you're born with CP, you don't know the extent of it. Cases run from mild to wild. So I think you really, the first few months are a real nail biter in terms of what you are left with essentially and how difficult your life will be in this ableist fucked up society. So I think the first few years, my parents were kind of just holding their breath, hoping that I was not going to have as much brain damage. and I was going to live a quote unquote normal life. But you never felt like, uh, like, what was, I guess that's my question. What was the relationship between you and your parents? Was there guilt between them? Were they crazy coddling you like my parents always were? And I didn't even have CP. Like, what's the deal between you guys? Oh my God. It was completely different. My mom, I think, went to a coddling place. Like, I, I have a real hard time discovering, like, where my cerebral palsy ends and where my learned helplessness begins because I just like got away with doing nothing. And I definitely like weaponized my disability to like get out of doing chores and all that stuff. And then meanwhile, my father, I think went in the opposite direction of like tough love and like, we're going to teach you how to fucking vacuum and all that stuff. So it was definitely like emotional whiplash going between the two of them. But as like any kid, you learn how to emotionally manipulate your parents to get you what you want. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of learned how to do that as a survival mechanism. I was very close with both of them. But yeah, they definitely had different approaches, I think, in terms of how to deal with my disability, for sure. So then you go to high school, which is devastating for anyone, A. Then you add the disability. And then you, dis- I know, you know, I haven't read that much, but I know you discovered you were gay. So how old were you 
you weren't really young. Like a lot of people were really young. I was like four. Like you weren't super young when you found out you were in high school. No, I mean, I think I found out just when I got really down to like masturbating and like realized like what got me off. And I think in the first iterations of my masturbation journey, it was like me like focusing on a man and a woman, but like all of a sudden, hmm, we're like focusing on this guy's ass a little bit more than the woman's ass. And all of a sudden, hmm, the woman gets smaller and smaller and the woman's gone. Oh my God, I'm gay. You know what I mean? And it was so funny because before that, I mean, I was obsessed with like popular on WB, which is just like gay camp. And I was so attracted to like a gay campy sensibility without really articulating what that was. So I shouldn't have been surprised, but definitely when it came down to just jerking off, it was a shock to me when I realized what I, what I liked. You know, I always talk about how hard it is. To, it's interesting to be a gay kid because like, if you're from, let's say an ethnic minority, you usually share that with your parents. But when you're a gay kid, you don't share it at all. So you keep it a secret. So my question is, Back to your parents again, like they knew you had the disability. So you could talk to them about like, oh, kids are making fun of me for my disability, but you probably couldn't say, but they're making fun of me for being gay also. And by the way, were they making fun of you? I guess is my question also. They weren't. I mean, I think that people are profoundly uncomfortable with disability in ways that work to your advantage and disadvantage. I think in our society, it's like the one minority that like you would truly are perceived as being the devil if you make fun of a disabled person, which again, speaks to a larger kind of condescending infantilizing attitude that is not chic, but whatever. Mm. Um, I'm like, I'll take it at like age eight for not getting bullied. You know what I mean? Right, um, right. Like, uh, But no, my parents, my uncle was gay. So I grew up with that being very normalized. So I never was worried. I mean, I didn't love being gay. When I realized I was gay, I didn't like love that. Like that wasn't like, the meal I would have ordered off like the intersectional combo menu. Like I kind of grew up with like my reference point for being gay was like queer as folk where like the message was like, you have to be hot and have abs in order to have like kind of sex. So like, I was like, okay, I'm gay. Like I hate that for me. I'm definitely going to die alone, et cetera, et cetera. So really that was my, that was my real devastation. It was not, oh no, I have to come up to my parents because my uncle was gay. Like my family is pretty gay in general. So I just never really worried about that aspect of it. So your devastation was regular looking gay people weren't being represented anywhere. You thought they were all alone. Yeah, like where does a gay disabled person fit into this culture? So you think if you weren't disabled, you wouldn't have had those thoughts? Well, I think questions of desirability always permeate a gay man's psyche, yeah. regardless of whether or not they're disabled. I think, I think gay men have pretty poor body image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, so I really, unfortunately, I think it transcends disability, and I think it's actually something every gay man can relate to. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Okay, so so back to high school. So it sounds like it's not devastating because there's no sports. You have your brother there to sort of protect you what was like the class that you're like i'm always acing this were you one of those only art classes where you like i was amazing at math she was a writer girl she was a in english f in math you know tale as old as time so yeah i just really you know i had to take a class called tech lit again them pushing the computers i'm, I'm like stop trying to make computers happen for god's <laughs> sakes like <laughs> like it's not gonna happen dot 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 um stop forcing this down our throats um but yeah so i mean i loved writing that's really what i like love to do and everything else was sort of who cares i think it was like an algebra one in senior year like math and i it was a journey that i didn't want to go on i didn't understand it like no like it was not for me and that was actually a place where i like played about my disability where i was like 
we just don't understand the numbers, which TBH like might have been true. Again, who knows? <laughs> We're still trying to figure it out. You, know, you talk about weaponizing your disability. Do you have like a great story about like getting out of something you beyond didn't want to do because you hauled out that mm, it hurts? Well, well, it's funny because I felt safe doing that with my family because I could just be like warts and all, terrible, whatever, who cares? But in the actual world, I was so deeply ashamed of my disability that I didn't draw any attention to it. And I remember like going to like an airport when I was younger and they'd be like, you want to cut the line? And I'd be like, I'm fine. Like, I, like I'm fine. And now, and like, I truly was fine. But now I like absolutely, I'm like, absolutely, I will cut in. I don't give a shit, honey. I'm cashing in my chips. I am cashing in my disabled chips. I've cut any line. I don't like, yeah, like why not? I don't care. But when I was younger, I would have been really, really embarrassed and offended by it. And now I just don't give a shit. What's to stop someone from faking a limp? Like, do they literally be like, can we just check like your CAT scan? No, but I mean, if someone fakes a limp to cut in the line, I mean, I almost feel like hashtag respect. Like you want it that bad, honey. Like, like first of all, you're unwell, but second of all, sure, cut the line. Hilarious. Hashtag respect. Okay, what was the circle of friends like? Who was your circle? Yeah, I mean, it was freaks and geeks. It was um, just like I think artsy, weirdo, creative people, um, late bloomers. Uh, I remember my best friend was this girl, Christy, and she was blonde beautiful would have been a cheerleader again if cheerleading was allowed at my school and we became friends and it was very star crossed lovers because we like like we met each other like in computer class again all roads lead back to computers <laughs> and we were just like wait you're funny and it was like yeah but like you like avril levine and like christian Aguilera, and i'm like listening to portis head and smith's like i can't fucking hang i'm like an alternative teen princess like i can't hang out with you you're like hollis or whatever and I remember like, like bravely, like we came out of the friendship closet one day and like walked around campus and people's, it was like a movie. People's heads were turning. They're like, Christy and Ryan are hanging out. Oh my God. Like the whole world was thrown off its axis. It was definitely like a blending of the groups. I loved it. And it, it wasn't one of those sitcoms where it's like, and we even learned something from each other. No, I aggressively tried to learn nothing in high school. Now, what about teachers? Any super supportive teachers and any teachers that were Mr. Carp in the musical A Chorus Line? There was one in particular that was kind of mean to me. I think she had this thing where she like wanted to save kids and like shepherd them somewhere nice. And um, I kind of didn't buy into that. So I think... I think she got like overly invested in my journey. Like I remember this is like going to date me so specifically, but I wrote in my live journal about smoking pot the first time. And for some reason she read it. I don't know why. And then she like confronted me at school and she was like, what happened to my sweet? It was like very black swan. It was like, what happened to my sweet girl? She's gone. You know what I mean? Like she was like, what happened to the Ryan that I knew and loved? I was like, like now you're smoking pot. And I was like, like, as if I was, like, freebasing. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm 16, babe. Like, let it go. Didn't you think your parents were going to read it? My parents were, like, out to lunch. Like, my dad remarried when I was 14 and moved to Los Angeles. And oh. my mom got a boyfriend who, like, lived in Northern California. So it was, like, very party of five vibes. Okay, so wait, what about trouble? Did you ever get in trouble in high school? You sound like kind of a I good tried. I tried. I knew it. I tried. I mean, I, 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 no, I mean, I actively, like, I, all I wanted to do was, like, do drugs and get wasted, but all my friends were too interested in, like, writing and, like, watching John Waters movies, and so that wasn't, like, the thing. But, like, again, I remember watching 13, which came out when I was probably 15 or 16, 
and being like, I want to snort like Percocet. I want to fucking, I want you to hit me, bitch. I can't feel it. No bra, no panties. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is like a very seminal film for me. Did you watch 13 with Holly? No, and you sound like a nightmare. Honey, it was psychotic. It was just teens behaving badly. And all I wanted to do was be like president of the bad girls club. But like, no one wanted to like get drunk with me. I was like, so frustrated. I was so annoyed. But then luckily by senior year, everyone had discovered alcohol and drugs. So that was really exciting for me. So then I was like snorting Xanax, you know, off of like a Rolling Stone cover and doing all the cliche things that one does, doing lots of muscle relaxers that you get from Tijuana, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really fun. But I was also, again, a type A Virgo from hell. So I was like very like, I, it was like very like rehearsed, like I'm going to be bad, like I'm going to go crazy. But it was also like, make sure you get your homework done. It was like very much that duality going. you got to drop 13 girl and move forward. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask about making money. Any after school jobs or quote unquote, my disability won't allow me to do that. Give me money. No, I had, I had no, no, I had no money. I remember my mom would give me $5 a day for lunch. Oh no. You know what? Actually, but when I was 18, I got settlement money. My parents filed a medical malpractice lawsuit because obviously the doctor who delivered me didn't do a great job. Um, So I went from like having zero money to basically becoming richer than my parents overnight, which was a weird thing. And I would not recommend that at all. Oh, wow. That is weird. And there was no limit. There was no executor. It was just like, here's a lump sum of money. When I was 18, I got everything and I turned 18 right in the beginning of my senior year. So that was a huge shift because I think when you're a teenager, it's normal to have this kind of acrimonious relationship with your parents. And overnight, it was like, I no longer needed them. And, you know, my dad was already living in LA at that point, but my mom and I were not getting along. So like, it was very much like a fuck you and like, leave me alone. Like I can do whatever I want. So that was very strange to be coming into that money at 18. Like that was weird. Of course it was. And wait, what did your mom work as? A nurse. Would she be do those crazy 12 hour shifts? Would she be gone overnight or was it just more regular? She was always on call. She was always in and out. I mean, again, like I didn't grow up with any money. So it was like very, very stressful. She was always working And money was always a source of stress. Like money was never seen as like a joyous thing at all. So it was, again, very interesting to have this lump sum of money fall into my life at 18 and see money as this thing, this source of possibility and joy rather than this like albatross around your neck. And what did you do with the damn money at 18? That's so young. Oh my God, honey. Like it's so, I mean, I don't know. I became like a nouveau riche nightmare. I like bought everyone ice blended, like coffee bean and tea leaf. I mean, (laughs) I mean, mean, you know what I mean? Like that, like there's a ceiling with the money that you can spend in Ventura, California. I remember I took cabs to Los Angeles a lot and like went shopping at Mark by Mark Jacobs and all that fucking nightmare stuff. Is this relatable? (laughs) (laughs) It's so is this relatable? Do you understand? Um, yeah, it was weird. I never had more than a hundred dollars in my possession and I would get that for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I went from that to like having all this money. And so like, I was just a psycho. I was like completely unhinged. I would just spend it nonstop. It was really fun. That's a good ending. <laughs> it was really fun. It was really fun. Got some new Mark Jacobs clothes that made everyone in Ventura jealous. They were like, who's that? I'm like, um, it's Mark by Mark. Ever fucking heard of him? What the fuck? <laughs> what a nightmare. He's not just like me. Another, a different version of me, but just like me. Who were you looking up to in high school, celebrity-wise? That's a really, really good question. I was obsessed with Parker Posey. 
So I loved The House of Yes, Day Trippers, Party Girl. I loved Chloe Sevigny. Like I like I remember seeing like Last Days of Visco in the theater and like obsessed with it. So like I loved Kirsten Dunst, Virgin Sue. I, I was an indie girl freak. Do you know what I mean? Like I and then oh my god, I was weirdly obsessed with Dominique Swain, who's like this B actress who like was in Lolita, but then in all these like all these like kind of weird indie direct-to-video films like starring like Brad Renfro and like all those things. So I was really into like alternative little actors and actresses. And were you thinking you're going to be like an alternative actor? Is that, was that your goal? Never acting. No, but I wanted to, I wanted to write. And I like, I loved watching these indie films because that's sort of what I wanted to do. I mean, it was interesting because like all the films I like, I really loved, I don't think were like necessarily comedies or they were more like serious. But I think when you're young, I think that's how you associate writing. It's like hard to kind of, I feel like I almost like had a scarlet letter for being funny. It was like, no, I'm, I want to write about desert roads and alcoholism. And did you do any performing in high school? Just the performing I did as a straight man up until my junior year. And um, as someone who didn't talk about their disability, I was more just writing little scripts. That's all I really did. And what, what would you do with the scripts? Did you perform them with your friends or just keep them on your hard drive? Just keep them on my hard drive, just for me. And when you were younger, like, is there, is there a point in high school that you could think of was like a before and an after, like, you know, some big momentous moment? Well, yeah. I mean, I think coming out was huge. I came out at the end of my junior year and I came out because I, I saw a boy on my campus wearing a Smith's t-shirt and I was like, he's gay, he's gay. And I, and I really liked him. I thought he was really, really cute. And I knew that in order to date him, I would have to come out of the closet. So I came out to everyone I knew in like three weeks and everyone was obsessed. And I threw a coming out party, like a sexuality <laughs> reveal party. And it was iconic. And I got everyone like penis pasta and like gift bags from like, you know, Spencer's gifts. And I put up posters of Morrissey and Mar and all that stuff. Oh yeah. She was like, I mean, gender reveals are problematic and toxic. Sexuality reveals, 10 out of 10 would recommend. You only come out once. Hold on. A, where did you throw it? And was this post money? My house. Yeah, of course it was post money. Honey, she can't afford to throw a party on my blue collar budget. Honey, she needs to get upgraded to that medical malpractice lawsuit money. Oh my God. You made that pay <laughs> off. So I kind of came out to like my top tier friends, like in person. And then I got so exhausted by the emotional labor of it all that I was like, okay, everyone else I just need to come out to at this party. So I recorded a video with my best friend, Katie, where we were like slow dancing and she like came in for a kiss. And I was like, I can't kiss you, Katie. Because I'm gay, bitches. And I say that to the camera and everyone like lost their shit and they like loved it. So then I came out in this like glamorous sexuality reveal party. And then I started dating the boy I liked like a month after. I'm supposed to quote unquote feel bad. You basically realized you were gay around 14. You're like, oh, boohoo. I'm never going to have like an amazing gay life. And like a minute later, you're dating the guy you've always wanted to date. Like you had like five minutes of feeling bad for yourself in high school. I had like an eternity. I know, but honey, I was charging happiness on a credit card and she had to pay up. So basically, like, I dated my boyfriend. My boyfriend broke up with me because obviously that's what happens when you're 17 and 18, whatever. And then that reinforced all these feelings that I was like, oh, of course he dumped me. I have CP. I'm unlovable. Uh, I'm unfuckable. Then I was celibate for 10 fucking years. Do you feel bad now, Seth? Do you? Do you? No, I want to ask you who your therapist was for those 10 years. What, what? Okay, we need to do a whole college mixed. version of this. It was mixed. It was mixed. It was mixed. Um, well, I mean, 
I, yeah, I mean, I, I went to school in San Francisco for the first two years and I assumed I was going to be chest deep in dick, yeah. but I also had the self-esteem of diet cheesecake, which really just like trumped everything else. Mm. And so I barely hooked up with anyone. I probably like one person I meet out with. And then I got hit by a car when I was 20 and I developed something called compartment syndrome. And that <laughs> wasn't great. <laughs> As a person with cerebral palsy, I really thought I was done. Really thought nothing else could happen to me. Like, why don't you go torture a Kardashian or something? Mm-hmm. But she wasn't finished with me yet. And then I moved to New York to finish my school in junior and senior year. And everyone assumed my limp was from my car accident. And then I was like, oh, twist, it is. Like, and so basically I lied and came out. I, I kind of ditched CP, threw it into a dumpster and just lived life as an accident victim. Because in my mind, being an accident victim is much more relatable. Like any of us could get hit by a car any moment. But having CP is something that people don't really understand. They get confused. So that allowed me to have some semblance of self-esteem. But again, I was just like living a lie. So it really only worked for a few years. And then it kind of, you know, then I got addicted to drugs, blah, blah, blah. And it was all very bleak and et cetera, et cetera. And then she got a Netflix show in the end. I was going to say that whole plot turned into your show. So I guess it quote unquote paid off. Yeah. That's true. Uh. That's exactly (laughs) what it feels like. See? (laughs) It's time for This or That. In this segment, I make my guests choose between two pop culture sensations from their high school years. I have a feeling you're going to say none, but were you Mariah, Pink, or Beyonce? Who were you more into? Definitely not Pink. Mariah, maybe... And Beyonce, sort of. I mean, again, she was listening to Shoegaze. Do you yeah. know I mean? She was like, my buddy Valentine. They're like, Velvet Underground and Nico. Like, it was different. So alternative. Okay, were you um, Big Brother or Survivor? Neither. Gross, as if. What? I was, you know what I was? I was Rich Girls on MTV. That's what I was. That was the TV show? Yes, starring Jamie Gleischer and Ellie Hilfiger. Pioneers of the form. What form? Reality TV, Seth. <laughs> I'm assuming you weren't game shows. I was. Were you like into Weakest Link or Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So embarrassing. I would never. Oh, that's embarrassing. Watching a game show, but watching Rich Girls is not. Um, in terms of cute boy bands, In Sync, Backstreet Boys. In Sync. Aha! So you were shallow. Go. Well, yeah, I'm still gay and have a penis. Absolutely. Now, what about NSYNC? Why more than Backstreet Boys? Just different time period? You know, ultimately, I think I like their music better. God forbid. And I also just thought NSYNC was inherently more queer. I mean, I realized later on that I was correct with the Lance Bass of it all. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. And Justin always seemed kind of like lightly gay. Hmm. Okay. In terms of like sort of campy TV shows, were you Ab Fab or Sex in the City? Sex in the City. Who were you? Were you a Samantha? Who were you? Honey, as a teenager, I was that piece of pizza that Samantha, that <laughs> Miranda's mom, mom eats out of the garbage. That's where I was. Who did you want to be? <laughs> this pizza tastes like garbage. Um, who did I want to be? I wanted to be Samantha. I mean, when all my friends and I started having sex my senior year of high school, 
we like gave one blowjob and all of a sudden we believed that we deserved to like write the Kama Sutra. Like we thought we were so sexually evolved. We thought, honey, gather around the campfire. Let me tell you how to please your man. Like it was like, we truly thought we were Samantha. Meanwhile, like none of us were coming and if we were, it was sad. <laughs> You're all, all messes. Okay. Um, in terms of well-written shows, were you the West Wing or the Sopranos? Sopranos for sure. I loved Sopranos. Livia was my queen, my icon. I loved her. What did you love about it? The whole revenge aspect? I just loved how passive aggressive and dry and evil she was. I thought it was so emotional. She was so emotionally manipulative. I thought it was just a really well-drawn character, Seth. Okay, I'll take it. Um, Medical drama, ER or Chicago Hope? Literally never. So embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Okay, you have a weird level of what's embarrassing and what's not. But okay. In terms of comedies, were you Friends or Will and Grace? Uh, Will and Grace, of course. Yeah, for sure. Are you kidding me? It's like, uh, would I rather watch a show featuring tons of gay panic from Chandler and Joey? Or would I watch a show that actually is gay? And, you know, (laughs) Will and Grace was iconic. I, I wrote for the reboot very briefly for one season. This is High School Versus Now where we find out how much my guest has changed since high school. So let's say you're in high school and you're doing your Good Man Charlie Brown. I know you didn't really do shows, but let's say you were doing it. And you find out that um, you're playing Charlie Brown and the whole cast is getting together to run lines and yet you're not invited. How would you have reacted? Said anything, kept it to yourself, what? Yeah, I mean, I would have internalized it. I would have been like, wait, why is everyone hanging out without me? Like, what's happening? Like, did I fuck up? Did I say something? And uh, it would have sent me through a spiral that would have lasted at least two hours and 40 minutes, for sure. That's specific. Okay, I know you're a writer on Awkward. You find out that the cast and a lot of the writers of Awkward, they're having a Zoom reunion. You're not invited. What's the reaction now as an adult? I would have been like, totally fair. I only wrote for seasons four and five. (laughs) You really wouldn't go like, but guys... (laughs) There are other people that only went for seasons four and five and they're there. Why am I not? You wouldn't ask anybody what's going on? Someone not inviting me to a Zoom is a gift, not a curse. <laughs> Seriously, in other words, I should have rephrased it to be like a really fancy party and you'd have a different answer, but it's specifically the Zoom aspect that's qualifying your answer? Yeah, but also like, I just don't care. <laughs> but so you've changed. So you're saying you're, you've changed. I don't care. Because when high school, yeah, care. I've changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say, I say, I love saying no to everything. My boyfriend always goes, you don't do anything you don't want to do ever. <laughs> and it's true. I'm like, I really do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I don't do anything I don't want to do. Okay, you're in high school and you decide to do, um, they have variety night. And you're like, I've been writing some funny stuff. I'll read it. Zero laughs. Well, see, in high school, I would have just read my dark, sad poetry in- influenced by Jenny Lewis and Ryla Kiley. Like, I, I, like, again, I was funny in high school, <laughs> but uh, I, I had not really tapped. I did not tap into that in my work. You know, like my work was still very, my work in quotes, um, was very serious and very moody and very emo. So actually, I did have like I went to this like open mic at a coffee shop and like read my sad teenage poetry. That was a very on brand for me. But like I don't think I would have ever tried something like as horrific as stand up. Well, let's say you had gone to this coffee shop and you read your internalized poetry, and afterwards people were just like, "That was derivative." Yawn. What would your reaction have been? 
I would have been like, they're wrong and I'm going to go and I'm going to work 10 times harder and I'm going to literally show them all and never underestimate the power of I'll show you. Oh, okay. Good attitude. So nowadays you're scrolling Twitter and you see a whole thread that begins with special is not special. Mm, mm-hmm. That's good. Um, I would, my feelings would be hurt. <laughs> Why? Why? Wait, so you've actually regressed? Why? Why in high school? No. I'll show you. No, I mean, I think, Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty good though with like dealing with like bad press or whatever. Like, like, I don't know, but I like, it would, it would wound me initially because I would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. But then I would be like, all right, well, life goes on. I don't know. Like I can't, I it wouldn't destabilize me. I don't, I don't get like completely like destroyed by like bad reviews or anything like that because it just is a waste of emotional calories. I think, I don't know why you would do that. Oh, so you're saying you would have a normal reaction of it would hurt my feelings, but it wouldn't destroy me. It would hurt my feelings, but move on. Okay, yeah. good. So you actually, you are healthy. I approve. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. You have to be because whenever you put yourself out there and what, like making work in general, whenever you make something, you just, I don't know, you can't let things like destabilize you and you can't internalize things too much because then you get in your own way and then it's, then you're, you know, then it becomes a house of horrors inside your brain. Okay, the final thing we do is um, two questions. Is there anything you would want to say, let's say they're listening to anybody in your high school, either your entire high school or a specific friend or a specific teacher, anything you'd like to actually say? Wow, Seth, this is, um, thank you so much for giving me this platform. It's something I've definitely thought about. So I come from Ventura, okay? Uh, in terms of the greatest Ventura exports, we have, we have Kevin Cosner, mm. okay? Not sure who else. I keep waiting for my school to be like, wow, one of our alum has a TV show <laughs> and, and you know, he's successful. And Or let's just even go beyond just my high school. Let's go to the Ventura County Star and be like, wow, you know, Ventura boy done good. Like we should reach out, you know, you know, crickets, honey, crickets, it blows my mind, makes my blood boil. I go full steamboat Willie and I'm letting them know that I'm here. And I don't know what's taken this long for them to reach out, but whatever it is, I forgive and I forget and I'm ready to heal. But like, let's get this going. I'm ready to come back to the hometown. I'm ready. You know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. You need, you, they could do one of those days you know, dedicated to you and then give you the key. You know, I'm not asking for a key. I'm not asking for a float. I'm asking for a half page profile in the VC star. And I'm asking for a visit to the English class at Foothill Technology High School. That's all I'm asking for. See, I don't want for much, Seth. I really don't, you know, I don't think it's going out on a limb. You know what I mean? No, it's not. It's like, oh, like, oh, I'm sorry. Was Kevin, did Kevin Cosner take the game? Like what, you know, ooh, Yellowstone? Like, give me a break. Also, I think he has a Tina's last name, Costner. But I like your passive progressive calling him Cosner. Um, okay, my second question is, let's say a 15-year-old Ryan is somehow listening to this podcast through a break in the time-space continuum. What would you like to say to 15-year-old Ryan? Oh, 15-year-old Ryan, you can fight who you are, but that's a fight you're never going to win, honey. So keep getting delayed as long as you want, but you're going to end up in the same place, honey. So you might as well just embrace it. And also all those things that you hate about yourself are going to be the reason why you're able to buy a house one day. I love that. Unfortunately, it's a house in Ventura. 
That's the only bad part. I live in Echo Park, <laughs> Seth. For God's sakes, bite your tongue. All right. Peace out. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is produced by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by me, Seth Rudetsky, and sung by me and Maggie McDowell. Our band was me on piano, Mark Schmid on bass, Carrie Meads on drums, and Jim Hirschman on guitar. This episode was mixed by Sarah Esikoff. 